Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible has some wonderful sound bites, and uh, Micah 6.8 is about as good as they come. What does the Lord require of you indeed but to love kindness, do justice, and be humble before your God? Micah makes it sound so easy. But how did we get to that soundbite? Well, like a lot of the uh, Old Testament, which can be somewhat difficult to read, we must set our heart and mind to the text. And when we do that, we'll find, as this text proves, to be pretty easy to understand. It's helpful to know in this section from Micah that there are three speakers. First, God speaks, then the Israelites respond, and then Micah concludes with his own word. It begins, Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. Well, this is something like a courtroom proceeding. And God has just given his opening salvo, his opening address. And who does he call as his witness? The mountains, the foundations of the earth. He is saying to them, hey, these are the things that have seen all of this take place. The mountains have seen it all. Right? All of the struggle and difficulty and hardship of survival in this creation. And they have seen, they, ha they stand as a witness to my special relationship with the Israelites, who are really just a blip on the timeline of God's creation, which is why he's appealing to the mountains. And no doubt then, these mountains have seen this special relationship, the special treatment that the Israelites have received from God, the Creator. You see, the mountains have had to fend for themselves for all of these centuries, and all manner of cold and heat and wind and rain. And so therefore, God is calling on these mountains. It's a way of saying they can attest to the entirety of my relationship with you, O Israel, and the special grace that you have received. So the mountains turn out to be pretty good witnesses on God's behalf. Now God goes on to get more specific. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Yes, God is reminding the people of the grace that he has shown them. I guess they forget about it from time to time. He's reminding them that he has rescued them on more than one occasion. Uh, and here they are wandering into idolatry against God. And that's what's going on during Micah's uh, prophecy. Uh, he is prophesying in Judah, that is the southern part of what we call uh, Israel, and this is before the Babylonian uh, conquest. So the Babylonians are about to come in, destroy the temple, take the Israelites or the Judeans, and take them into captivity, the Babylonian exile. 
And during this time, they, Israel or Judah, as the southern part was called, is just fraught with idolatry. And so God is trying to make it more clear. Why are you doing this to me? I have done all of these great things for you, and this is how you repay me. The reference uh, from Shittim to Gilgal is a reference to the first and the last places that Israel would stay after they crossed the Jordan and began to conquer the promised land as recorded in Joshua. And so from the Exodus through Joshua, what God is saying is, this is who I am and this is what I have done for you. That is the opening case in this courtroom proceeding. And so far, all of this should be tracking pretty easily. It gets even more interesting when the Israelites respond. The self-justification and the sarcasm should jump off the page. Like a smug American, if I say so, who is overeducated, overpaid, and entirely lacking in humility, the Israelites respond brazenly. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Do you hear the attitude? I promise you it's there. They believe that they have done enough in God's sight to avoid condemnation. And again, this is a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. God's law, as given to Moses, does indeed require sacrifices, all kinds, burnt offerings, animal sacrifices. Uh, but having completed the rite, the work is really only beginning. You see, the, the sacrifice that God asks the Israelites to make in the temple or the tabernacle before that is a means to an end. It is meant to inspire repentance. It is meant to demonstrate their, their sin and their need of salvation. The point isn't just to pay some money to the temple priest, have an animal killed, and be done. Okay, that, that's not the, the point is to point to something larger. Of course, as Christians, we would say ultimately it points to the final and great sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ himself on the cross. But their response instead is, hey, I did what you said. I did everything that you asked. I sacrificed the pigeon. I burnt up the grain. I paid the priest, etc. But that isn't what God wanted. He wanted the change of heart that the right was supposed to demand. It's kind of like when a child says, Hey, I cleaned my room. What else do you want? Sometimes I would settle just for a clean room. Uh, but what the parent actually wants is for the child to be grateful for the room and out of that gratitude, volunteer to clean the room and then not have an attitude about it, right? The insolence only gets worse. So if in verse 6 you thought maybe I was reading too much into that, well, it'll be clear that's not the case now. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, folks, I hope you heard that, and it, it's like a punch to the solar plexus. Did you hear what they just invoked? They just invoked human sacrifice to God. God does not demand human sacrifice. 
In fact, God says that all the false gods that the Israelites are eventually going to follow, okay, when they fall into idolatry, they're the ones who demand human sacrifice. It is strictly forbidden in the law of God. The Israelites do not kill their own children. And so for them to go before God and say, oh, we haven't done enough, you're still unhappy with us? What do you want, our firstborn? Do you remember how they got out of Egypt? Right? The blood of the, over the door? Do you remember the price that the Egyptians paid so Israel could get out? That's what the Exodus is all about. That's what the great celebration of the Passover is about. They're sticking a finger in God's eye when they bring up child sacrifice. They know that's not who God is, but they're so self-righteous that they think nothing of accusing God of asking for that. How often do the unbelievers that we meet, uh, and how often do we respond to God with a similar self-justification? Hey, God, I'm a good person. Why are you giving me such a hard time? Hey, I follow the law. Why are bad things happening to me? Hey, I'm a responsible person. Why am I the victim of a crime? Now, with us and with these Israelites, at this moment, the prophet would be well within his rights to read these Israelites, the proverbial riot act. God has made his case. He has presented his testimony. He's called upon witnesses and they respond with absolute arrogance and self-righteousness and justification. But through Micah, he responds by taking a proverbial deep breath, de-escalating the tension, and he says, listen, I know that it's not easy, but it is rather simple to do what I am asking you. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? No endless burnt offerings, no offerings of your firstborn, no rivers of oil. What God requires is clear and simple. And of course, this is paired on the Sunday with the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Precisely because this is the person that Jesus is describing, is he not? The one who mourns their own greatness and finds blessings in God. That is the happy person. And as I said, and you already know, it is simple, but it's not easy. It's really a question of desire more than technique. It's a question not of knowing what to do. It is wanting to do it. So why would you want to do justice? Why would you want to love kindness? Why would you want to walk humbly with your God? I could give you reasons, but what would be the point? It's a question for you. It's a question you must answer. It's a question you must answer for your neighbor and for your city and for your country. The results of not doing so, as Israel would later prove, are disastrous. God will not be mocked, but threats of destruction lose their effect after a while. Arguments that obedience to God's law really does produce the best world, and it does, well, they fall on deaf ears. The world is proving more and more every day 
that leaving God behind does not promise the happiness that they thought it would. So we are living in between the time now of rebellion and a future reformation. Not the 1500s reformation, I mean the one that is still to come. When people finally realize how foolish it was to leave God behind. When they realize that instead, yes, trusting in God is the way forward which is what the Israelites would eventually uncover in exile, in Babylon. Hey, let's go back to Israel. Let's rebuild the temple. Let's follow God's law. This is the way. We trust that we are blessed by relying on him and living as he has said that we are to live. That is how then we are to live now, in trust. It isn't easy. But it's simple. If you need some inspiration, you don't need to look any further than the cross. For do we not see there God himself doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God? Yes, everything Micah speaks to can be seen on the cross. So we will hold it up for all the world to see so that as our eyes have been opened, their eyes will one day be opened as well. Amen.